Hey, Bookworms. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with A.D. Neman. We're talking about her book, Down the Steep. That book is available now, so you can go ahead and go get it. I loved, absolutely loved this book. It's a historical fiction, and it's so powerful, and it just, I believe it will resonate with a lot of readers. And I A.D. Neman, she was so generous with and authentic with her answers. And I just loved just digging deep into the more serious themes in the book and how she decided to tell the story. But either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is A.D. Neman. Okay, uh, so today we've got A.D. Neman. We're talking about Down the Steep. That book is available now. A.D., thank you so much for joining me today. I absolutely love this book. I'm trying to remember the headspace that I was in when I finished it because I, I felt like it was one of those books that's going to stay with me for a while. I needed a minute to get into it. We're going to get into it today, but I'm really excited to to dig in deep and, and talk about this um, fantastic book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. Before we get started, can you give a summary um, of the book? Maybe it's spoiler free, even though the book's been out for a little right. months. Um, so people can uh, follow along with the conversation. Sure. So the story is set in the civil rights era, 1963, in Southeast Virginia, the Tidewater region, which is where I mostly grew up, not completely, but mostly. And it is the story of Willow, who is the 13-year-old daughter of a Klansman. Her father is rather high up in the KKK in the region. And at first, Willa idolizes her father, wants to be just like him. But as the events of the story unfold, she realizes he is, in fact, deeply flawed. Uh, and through, through other events of the story, she learns gradually to overcome her own racism. Yeah, it was a powerful like coming of age and you tackle a lot of really challenging themes but you did it and then through essentially through the eyes of a teenager that who's who who is just at the peak of learning and becoming mm -hmm. a person that's fitting into the world and her place in it and in that context it was it hit me. I was very, I loved it. It was very powerful. And will I, as a character, I felt like I, I just, I forgave her so much. Just trying to, she spends a lot of, she's ambitious and she's smart and she's just trying to gain her father's approval, like recognition. Cause she's like the youngest of four, right? She, so, she's number three, but she's the second girl. Okay. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Yeah. And so she's just trying to get noticed and she wants like approval and like affirmation from her father, but, and she's doing what she, everything that she can. And then I just, I found it like once that switch happened, once she was like, oh, hell no, wait a second. And then it's, uh oh, Willa's not on your side anymore. And she's still smart and she's still ambitious <laughs> and she's still now she, yeah. And she uses those qualities for the, for a whole different purpose and it was just really fascinating to watch that growth i'm such a sucker for character growth and it was just before we get into that can you go into your background a little bit and like how you brought this story to life sure as i mentioned i did grow up in the tidewater area my parents were not from that region my mother grew up in minnesota and my father grew <laughs> up in california <laughs> And they moved to this small town in Southeast Virginia, which is a fictional town. Uh, in the book, the town is a conglomeration of several little towns in that region. Uh, my father was a minister. So we moved to that area when I was a very young child. Um, lived there until I was about seven, then moved to Philadelphia for five strange years. And then we, for my father's job, moved back to that area, though, to Newport News, which is the larger region of Tidewater. Um, so I have a, a very strong affinity to the place. However, my parents were outsiders and um, they pointed out the racism that we saw around us. They made made clear that it was bad and we were not to say racist things and we were just to be very careful. And they pointed out the very depressing shacks that the black people had to live in, the separate water fountains. And indeed, one of my earliest childhood memories is of a Klan march. Mm. I was maybe three or four years old. And I remember standing on the street with my mother 
And here comes this parade of people in white robes and hoods, pointy hoods, and they're walking. And I remember feeling so confused because it seemed like it was a parade. And I thought parades were supposed to be fun and joyful, but this wasn't fun or, or joyful at all, obviously. No one around me seemed happy. The atmosphere was very tense. And as they came toward us, I, I do remember the sound of chains rattling. I, I recall that. And I remember my mother's hand tightening on mine. And she just looked very upset and very tense, but not, nothing was explained. So here comes this group past us. But obviously, it was a very powerful memory. And over the years, so we left the area... She and my father split up. She, we all ended up living in the Midwest. So, and over the, the decades, she would occasionally say to me, there were clan members in your father's church. And I'm like, really? Duh. I, I, you know, it took me a long time <laughs> to realize that this might be something worth writing about. So it took me a long time to figure out this, this might be something to write about. And one thing that was very interesting for the book, I did talk to both of my parents and got a lot of really good details from them that are, are very authentic. So they're mm -hmm. not something I could find on the internet. The rest I found on the internet, but um, sure. yeah. So the book is funny. It's It reads like a memoir, but it is completely fiction. Yet really the roots are, are autobiographical. It, it comes out of my own experience and, and my own family history and memories. I did go back with my sister on a few occasions to the region to do research. Currently, I live in Chicago. We went back to the region. We found old newspapers and soaked in the atmosphere. And so that's my background. That, that's where the story came from. I call myself an accidental Midwesterner. I'm not <laughs> sure how I ended up here. I, I, I went to St. Louis for college. Okay. And then moved up to Chicago with my future ex-husband. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been here ever since. I love how you phrase that, like future ex-husband. <laughs> like, it's just, that's what it is. That's what it was yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's so cool and fascinating that you were able to just pull out so much and such a powerful story out of like things that you witnessed. And I love the fact that your parents addressed it I guess they couldn't help it because it was like so prevalent I'm I'm guessing back in that area and and, and that time period um and I I just think it's great I appreciate your parents also for just not being afraid to like go against the grain mm -hmm. and to speak and against it and to just let you know yeah so we're this is wrong this is not this is we're not gonna do this because I'm I don't know I'm like I'm really sensitive to racism. I don't know. I would like to think it's just because I'm like a human person, mm -hmm. but I like I'm half Mexican. My my half of my family is from Mexico and or at least like my mom's mom, she they her family was in Texas since before that transfer since before Texas was Texas, like before that border crossed them. Wow. Yeah. yeah like they've been here for, they were living in that area for generations. And my mom kind of jokes about it. So nobody's kicking us out. <laughs> it's like, they were kind of part of the deal. They like, yeah. that, per, that, that land exchange, whatever it was, but yeah. And then my, so I have cousins, fa other family members who are people of color, black and mixed and things like that. So I grew up just not just being exposed to that. And it was just like normal with my family. And it's, mm -hmm. once you get to, once I got older and I, and even with my, I grew up in Berwyn, you know where that is. And, <laughs> and so it was just such a very, I, I went to school, my elementary classes, school classes were very mixed, like white kids, Mexican kids, Hispanic, whatever. And so I was just, I, I was in a unique position to just not think much of it. And then when I got older and more educated and just more exposed to the world and, and learning about history and things like that, like just outside of what they teach us traditionally, it was just, and I'm still learning. I'm still like learning so many things and 
I, I love learning and I love my worldview. I appreciate it being challenged and either way, like challenged to know this is your, I'm on the right track in, in my opinion versus no, I should consider this too. And I just, I think <laughs> I'm just like, oh God, how much more productive would like human society be if we all took that like mentality of like, you know what, maybe I'm not right about everything or maybe, Agree. you know what? And it's so crazy. And so, yeah, going off on my tangent, like I'm, I think that's probably why so many like the main messages of of this book hit me so much and resonated with me because I'm like I have two little boys now and they're the whitest looking kids ever and like and my husband's half Italian so I'm like they they still just like fair skin blonde hair light eyes like I'm like eh, a lot of SPF in your future boys sorry <laughs> <laughs> and so it makes me think about when they're when they get to the age of where maybe they might have to explain some things to them and or just make sure that they understand some people feel this way and there's no reason for them to feel this way. Yeah. Everybody's equal because I'm my nephew, he's black, he's half black, half Mexican. And so that's, that's their cousin. And mm -hmm. so it's just, they get so, ex he, he, they're at the, still at the point where they get so excited. Who's going to be there? So I, I love that for them. And I hope that they take, because I think that adds to that firsthand experience of just versus someone who's never grown up around people of color. And not even necessarily like in a racist area, just somebody who's never been exposed to people of color. And I think yeah. that's a little bit of a head start. It does part of my work for me where it's like, because I, I don't remember at any point where my parents ever really approaching it because my dad might make jokes of we go to your mom's side of the family we don't show up until six o'clock because nobody else is going to be there like <laughs> <laughs> things like that where it's just the funny I don't know it's just funny stereotypes and, and, and but I know that he it there's other points of view that it's and eh, maybe you don't know about this but it's you don't have a firsthand experience but then it's like I don't know. It's it could go so many ways and there's so many like nuances that I think people don't have a whole lot of like exposure to, unfortunately. And that's what I love about Willa was like she was in it. She was just so immersed in that culture and in that worldview. And then yeah. the second that she meets, she gets to know Langston. And it's here's this well-spoken, responsible, kind or he's kind to to Ruth at least because mm -hmm. <laughs> at yeah. first they don't they're like I he don't doesn't know. like her much at first yeah <laughs> but then it's because he knows who her father is he's everybody knows who your father is and she's at first she wants to like impress people or she brags a little bit so he's just she's just like uh, reaffirming like any of his, what he could think about her and so it's like when her own prejudices are challenged by meeting this person who's at the end of the day he's another human being and he's treated so differently and she's starting to realize their yeah. why right and I think that's it was just so powerful so I thought that kind of resonated with me where it's like she when she meets a person of color and she gets to know him and she starts seeing him for a person then that's when things start to click in her things head. start to change and I think of this book as a thought experiment on how a racist white person might overcome their racism. And one part of it, you've definitely hit on a few parts of it. One part of it is the fact that her culture is also saturated with sexism. Yes. She has first firsthand experience of being demeaned because of her demographic group. So that works as a conduit toward empathy. Mm -hmm. I, I think for her. So that's, but that's only a part of it. That's just a little part of it. Although when I think of it, it makes me feel hopeful that perhaps people in the U.S., uh, many of whom suffer just, you know, types of certain types of discrimination, they can use those experiences maybe to, to empathize a little bit more with people of color. Sure. Um, sure. But yeah, so then you have to, so, so there's that. And then a stranger comes to town. You have to have an outside idea coming into your little world. So think in terms of we're all in our little bubbles. Think about the people who only watch Fox News. Yeah. Something's going to have to penetrate that little bubble for them to even be aware that there's a different perspective. She meets Ruth and Ruth is very kind to her, uh, a very loving mentor, even though Ruth knows that Willa is racist and Ruth mm -hmm. doesn't like that. 
Mm-hmm. And then she slyly puts puts Langston and, and Willa together. And yeah, then Willa realizes, well, you know, all of these ideas I had about Black people are overgeneralizations, and that's not really logical. And here's this person who's different and challenging my little worldview. And, and yeah, and then with the other events of the story, she's able to crack that, that worldview cracks open for her. Yeah, and she... Yeah, it's like she had the best intentions after the fact, eating me still. She was like, oh, I felt so bad for her. I was like, <laughs> she's trying, but she's just, I think it is because she's a woman and because she's young, nobody takes her seriously. Mm-hmm. Some people do, and that's how she can make change. But at the same time, like she's, there's still parts of her that are a little ignorant that are still like, she doesn't realize that she's putting certain people in danger because she doesn't know any better. And it, it was like hard. I just remember, I'm going to go back and forth here, but I like the, I remember like the last 10% of the book. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, just what I thought. Like it was, it, it just like punches you. Like you, you punched us all in the field with, with how everything culminated and the effect that it had. And it was just so heartbreaking because she was just, you, I think as a reader, we get invested into her growth and we're like kind of rooting for her. And then and then we think, oh, things are going to be fine. She's doing well. And then, oh, shit. Like, then that happens where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's so heartbreaking. And yeah, I love the, that you point out the whole the sexism, the patriarchy, because mm-hmm. it, it was such a patriarchal structure where even her mom was like, she played her role. And she, even when she was just like willfully, almost willfully ignorant of it. Or she was just defensive. I remember when Willa was visited by Aston's girlfriend. She was trying to talk to her about what she mm-hmm. had done. And and even then you could see it was Mrs. McCoy was like, no, we just, we, there are people in our community who try to keep, look out for everyone. And I'm like, you got, they're all racist. They're all like, <laughs> if you guys are like, like it's, it's, come on, girl, come on. That's where it is at that point. But it's, and I just saw the, like, the parallels of, like, today, like, just willful ignorance of people who are like, no, like, what they're doing is not horrible. They're just looking out. And it's, it's really problematic because they can, if there's enough hatred, it could be violent. Yes. And especially if we have certain people in power who condone it or justify it or accept yeah. it, it's that's when it becomes like a huge uh, risk, a huge problem. And so mm-hmm. that's, I think, yeah, like your point of where she experiences that because she, she is frustrated that nobody takes her seriously or that because she what I think I remember she wants to be a journalist or like a reporter. Right. A reporter. And, and she gets taken seriously when people don't know how old she is or, or that she's a woman. And from what I remember, right, I'm right. sorry, I finished this book like five months ago. So I'm that's like fine. trying to remember. <laughs> But yeah, it was exactly that. That's an excellent point where she, that's when she like sees, she shares that frustration and she shares that she can empathize with that. And that's, Mm -hmm. again, that's also like parallel to today with the human, just, I think it's just human nature. Like sometimes that's what it takes for, for people to realize, for groups to realize, oh, wait, there's something here and maybe we can accomplish something if we stopped seeing it as like us versus them or like fighting for resources or like we're looking it's like misguided it's misdirected anger it's misdirected absolutely yeah it's gosh yeah it was so powerful and I don't know how you how you just did it but now that I know that I like it's a lot of it comes from your firsthand experience I'm like oh no wonder you were able to capture that because something I wanted to ask you about also because you touched on this was like the research part of it because I'm sure you Mm -hmm. you, like you said you had to google some stuff did you approach it the same way because I know you have you've had a you have a published book before this so did you approach it the same way was your experience different was there anything surprising that you learned while you were developing it yeah, so different from my previous novel in that this is the current one is historical and the previous one was not. And I did do a lot of research, but I tell you that was so much fun. <laughs> I have a whole bookshelf of books here about the era, about racism, slavery. There was one book I read, very interesting, it's called Rising Out of Hatred and it's a, the true story of Derek Black who is I don't know how old now, but he was a like a kid <laughs> growing up in this white supremacist community in Florida 
in I think the 90s. So it wasn't way back right. in the 1860s. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, he was able also to write, well, rise out of hatred, rise out of that toxic culture he was born into. Yes, lots of great research, lots of painful research because I, for instance, found a few old issues of the Fiery Cross and just the the thought processes, the rationales behind racism and racist people just make your flesh crawl. For instance, I was reading an article, it was written written by somebody in the 1970s, it was a long time ago, but he, the writer was complaining that he had recently come across this theory in, from 1910 <laughs> that Black people were inferior, to, biologically inferior to white people. And of course, this was during the heyday of the eugenics movement in the U.S., so I'm not surprised that was out there. Mm. But this writer in the Fiery Cross, which, by the way, is the newspaper for the, the Klan, um, said... How furious he was that liberals have been suppressing this knowledge for, for all of these decades. Like, what? How did you make that connection? Yeah, just it, it's very disturbing. And I read some Richard Spencer, too, and he's the modern day version, really, of, of the Klan, the, the current white supremacist. And I, you know what? I'd like to call it the white male supremacist movement. Because they're okay with their ladies in there too. But the women aren't the leaders of the movement. It's the men. Yeah. And yeah, Richard Spencer has all these ideas about evolution and why white people evolved to be better human beings than black people. And it's just revolting. It's revolting. And it, no, it's not science. It's just somebody's warped idea. Yeah. Like the worst like the malfunctioned uh, perception of mm -hmm. what when yeah because I think I don't know because I, I follow a lot of hopefully that I can catch misinformation in this day and age but I, I view some things and because it's the in the, on the south in the deep south some so much of it is still ingrained in, in the atmosphere and the energy the vibes that are down there in the in, in that location and so I'm like there was this person who was giving an explanation about his experience of publicly buying a Confederate flag and like a black person buying a Confederate flag at this like your congregation. So he got the attention and stuff like that. And it ended up him being because he was doing it for a purpose and he was like in a conversation and, and people were like, oh, how about why do we only care about American slavery? Why don't we care about slavery in other parts of the world? And it's what you're saying is that because slavery here was treated as like it's because they were not seen as humans they were seen as like genetically or scientifically right. or evolutionary like lesser than whereas mm -hmm. in they in other the parts like the romans i think and other parts of the world at the who had slavery institutions in place they weren't it wasn't like that it wasn't like this person is less than it was or they weren't they were less than human it was still that was the big difference they were still seen as human i think not to say that they, they were better but it was still that's the main difference is mm -hmm. that that's that dangerous ideology that dangerous yeah, detail yeah yeah and i didn't know that either and i'm maybe I don't know. I'm like, maybe I should just take some history classes or something. Cause I'm like, I just find it fascinating. And I just want to make sure that I have my, like my opinion straight for the most part. Cause I'm, you know what I mean? It's, I don't want to only be, I don't want to only fall to the algorithm that like affirms my own like bias, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, racism is bad. I think I can just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that is a statement <laughs> that should be made often and it's perfectly accurate. Yes, I just yeah, but maybe that where the discrepancy comes in is where people might not view things, certain things or beliefs as racist or certain statements or like people want to excuse it. And it's I'm glad that people are more outspoken now. And that's maybe one of the positive things about social media or like online communities is that people can share this information, even though there you do run the risk of running into people who are just uh, misinformed mm -hmm. or just straight up, they don't care and they're going to feel the way they feel when they're so, not interested in learning or growing or anything. And it's unfortunate. I'm like, yeah, uh, people, hard these to people speak. vote. 
like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's hard to speak back to the ones who just don't care. No, I'm right. You're wrong. And, like, and the people who say you're the one who is misinformed. You're the one who's deluded. You, you know, okay. I, yeah, there's just no way to really speak back to that. Yeah, if you have to not like pick your battles, but just is this worth the energy? Am I gonna get anywhere? It's I don't know. I'm just do. I I could like worry about myself and then surround myself with people who acknowledge that as well who mm -hmm. are like no that's not dude like I I I've straight up have changed my opinions of people like I don't know for me it's like sexism and racism is it's just for me it's black and white that's how I see it is like pro-life pro-choice I'm pro-choice I will support a Republican if they seem smart and qualified but that unfortunately is like the make or break it for me and it's really hard for me to not acknowledge that you know what I mean? So it's with racism and sexism, it's like the same along the same lines. Like, I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to look at you differently. And I'm going to think of you differently if you say certain things or if you have a certain opinion about certain things. And I can't I can't help it. So I like, yeah, that's like on the other side of that. It's like, how can it helps me understand what the worldviews of those people are like, where they're like, no oh, you say this thing, then I don't need to listen to you anymore. Like I can see like somebody who thinks, oh no, you disagree with me. Never mind that. So I can understand it from that perspective. But at the same time, I'm like, what? <laughs> there's just so many, there's just so many things that kind of play into it that I don't know. I guess I'm a little conflicted sometimes because I want to like give people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm like, no, that for me, that kind of makes you a horrible person. <laughs> I can't, I just can't you like. Know, I, I understand what you're saying because the, the times I've been back in that area, I have met up with some old friends from high school and one from this small town where we lived. And they are such gracious people. One of them threw me a surprise party. Oh. <laughs> and, but they, this particular old friend I'm thinking of, and I'm still in touch with her, she would start sentences with, I'm not racist, <laughs> but that almost guarantees something afterward is coming yeah. is racist. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's puzzling. It's yeah, it is. It's, it, it really gets your mind in a knot because you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I do love this old friend of mine, but I, and then, but then there's this chunk of her. I just don't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. Cause obviously you value that friendship to an extent mm -hmm. and it's hard for you. And sure. I don't know if you've had conversations with her about it where that that's problematic. I don't know. I'm not a confrontational person, so I don't know unless I had a few drinks in me, like liquid confidence, <laughs> I probably wouldn't talk about it. I'd probably just be quiet. Otherwise I would say I well, can't admit. Yeah. I can't imagine having a decade long friendship and like struggle with that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, what can I say? We're all flawed. Yeah. But that's, yeah, I, it's, again, get your mind in a knot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and wanting to be united with other people leads you to this spot where, okay, I do want to be united with you, but you, I think your views are appalling. <laughs> um, For lack of better words. Right? Yes. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. So like we mentioned it earlier, or you mentioned it earlier, hopping off of your experiences. You wrote this from your own experiences. So how did you wrote it from a teenager's point of view mm -hmm. in from what, 60 years ago in that context and geographically in that time. So how did you tap into that? Like, how did you approach that? Was it kind of, I don't know, I'm thinking, did you journal? Did you have vision boards? Did you like, how did you get into that headspace of writing from the point of view of someone different age, different maturity level? Yeah. And that's a wonderful question. I did. I, I think perhaps one thing that helped me was uh, as I, I did publish another book that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> I wrote two novels since then, which did not get published. I have a daughter. Uh, I'm a single mom. I have a daughter. And so when she was in middle grades, I wrote a middle grades novel. <laughs> and then she was a young adult. I wrote a young adult novel. <laughs> so I've been writing in a kid's voice I, for a decade. I was doing that. And that probably okay. really helped set me up for this. And in fact, I remember sitting down and starting to write this thinking, oh, I'm writing 
I'm writing the kid's voice again. Okay, I'll just continue <laughs> on with that. And then it was just tremendous fun to to put her in the 1960s. And I have some memories of it. And then I looked up other things. And yeah, that was just... That's so... Yeah, that is fun. I guess you just couldn't like... You couldn't totally escape that headspace, right? <laughs> You're just like, you were just tapping into the age group, depending on what you were doing at the time. I think that's, but that's really helpful. I think it helps you as a writer and it helps like expand and challenging mm -hmm. a little bit. Cause obviously if you're writing from your own point of view, like how you are now, I imagine that it's engaging, but maybe not so much as helping you grow as a writer because mm -hmm. it's not challenging you. Or you have to tap into that, right? You have to tap into, okay, how would my daughter at this age? But I guess, yeah, if you are familiar and spend a lot of time with people of that age group, then it could be easy to see what their thought processes are, how they see the world, the kind of conclusions that they draw based on a certain situation. I could totally see that. And that's cool that you got practice at least before. Yes, yeah, so I was practicing. <laughs> I, I must say as a 13-year-old, it's much smarter than I was when I was a 13-year-old, but... <laughs> uh, same. Same. <laughs> it was also pretty reckless. So it was easy. And yeah, I'm not sure yeah. we ever completely leave that behind. It was easy to remember. Right. Oh, there's there's a consequence to this action. Duh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll think about that. Oh my gosh. I was like talking about this earlier today and I was trying to like remember everything. And then like the fact that this story took place like what, like 10 years or within a few years after the lynching of Emmett Till and that whole situation mm. happened and where it was like, I, I just found that was so important to like, for that whole scene where she's looking at the picture and mm -hmm. then she realizes this is what they did and all that's all he was doing. And then, Oh, and then <laughs> remembering her teachers, her teacher was so like, but I'm sure that was normal, right? Like teachers in the South are racist too. And they like shape their, their curriculum around those teachings. Yeah. Like, and where she even challenges, she's like, oh God, what was that? It was the one, cause she was teaching on the subject of the one slave who led a revolt and. Yeah. Nat, was, Nat Turner. Yes. Turner's yes. Rebellion. And of course, you know, she wants to focus, the teacher wants to focus on that. But even Willa, I love that Willa was like, wait, so if they <laughs> do rise up, they're barbaric. But if they don't, they're cowards. Yeah. And the teacher's like, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so scary to think. I'm sure there are like people alive today that have that same contradictory. No, no matter what they do, they're they're doing something wrong we're mm -hmm. doing something wrong and i'm like that and then again draws me back to the whole patriarchy women can't get a break it was like yeah. no matter what it's somebody's gonna criticize something and it's just it, it does speak and it parallels with mother women decide marrying decided not to marry they want to be mothers they don't mm -hmm. want to be mothers like it, it doesn't like you're criticized for going to work. You're criticized for staying at home. Yeah, you're criticized yeah. for breastfeeding. You're criticized for not breastfeeding. You're criticized for waiting to have kids. You're criticized for having kids. It's just like, what? There's no pleasing everyone. And so it's, I'm glad that things seem to be getting better now, or maybe I just live my life so unbothered. Like I don't really, <laughs> I was like some things that people say, I don't care. I'm like, that's fine for you. But it's to the point where it like, when it drives legislation, that's when it's a problem. And the fact that when people yes. are just so ignorant, can we get a parental leave for both men and women who become yeah. new parents? Like it's not, it's there's so much it's there's so many more benefits to offering that and it's so stupid that for the united states it's where what we're like one of six countries that doesn't guarantee anything yeah. it's like ridiculous and i feel lucky because i'm like in my i from my personal experience in my life i feel very fortunate but if this but then that's just oh god can you imagine i've known people who had the who had nothing and they had to go back to work like as soon as they ran out of days. And I'm like, yeah. that's fucking horrible. That's it, horrible. It is. It's like, you don't, we're not allowed, you're like breed puppy breeders aren't allowed to sell puppies until after eight weeks. It's what, 
what? What a great point. <laughs> really? Are we giving more care to like animals? Trust me, I'm a dog person. I like am a sucker for them. I'm like all about it. If it were up to me, we'd have four dogs in this house. But <laughs> I am like, dude, the humans, the humans. Can we be a little more pragmatic here? It's, I'm, I, that's why I was just like, you hide these little things in this story while still like engaging the reader. Like I was following Willa and I was like so in tune with her. I was rooting for her. But then you just sneak these little things in here from what she observes from like the situations around her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Nauman, like you are giving us a lesson in every fifth of the book that I read, like every 20%. I was like, okay, here, okay, you're taking us, you're taking us there, you're taking us here, you're taking us all over the place, and you're doing it so that as a reader, I didn't feel like you were shoving it down my throat. I felt like you were like leading it in and saying, saying, how about you acknowledge this? How about you consider this? How about this happened? This was how life was for people. Mm. And it took a lot of noise, a lot of people making noise to change things. And it's just so crazy to me. And I'm like, I can't say enough. I can't give you enough praise about this book. It was fantastic. Just like how deep, like you just went there. You went there. You weren't afraid to go there, but you were like, "Eh, I don't want to like shove it down their throats. You're like, "Eh, let's. I'm going to throw this little bit in here. Or no, (laughs) pay attention to this over here. I loved it. So yeah, we explored like the themes of like patriarchy and racism and all that. But I love how uh, the fact that Willa, she's not a, she's not dumb or naive. She's Mm -hmm. to an extent, but she's intelligent. She's ambitious. She's already got that drive. And the fact that she was open to, she was, she had that little bit of open-mindedness to her. That was all it took. But I think because Langston was also smart, and he knew how to code switch and he mm-hmm. knew how to act. I think that I want to explore how like education and intelligence can help people break free of that or explore other ways of thinking. And even ge- geographically, like Ruth and her husband from Minnesota, where it's not like that over there. And that kind of Ruth is a real one. And she's just like sneaky about it or she knows what she's doing and she's very kind about it too. She's very mad. I, I got the, I just, she's not, yeah, she's not the typical like housewife or pastor's wife. And I like, or at least maybe what some people might think yep. what she yeah, might have been. That. So I love that about her and the fact that she was just, she was the adult. She was also an adult and it helped Willa see that like adult percep- perception that was different than what all the other adults in her life oh, the other adults yes exactly. yeah yeah i just want to explore like how you trickled in like you made a point of education and intelligence really helped mm-hmm. her see langston for as a person and as an equal and then how she because she's not stupid she's intelligent she was able to uh, to come out of that she wasn't stuck mm-hmm. in it she wasn't like burying her head in the sand about it I think one thing about Willa is she has a capacity for critical thinking and where that come from, where that came from, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Other than that, I guess I see that as a facet of intelligence. And so she's a smart kid. Again, smarter than I was when I was that age. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're a smart person, maybe you have a, you know, a greater capacity for, for critical thinking. So again, spotting the illogic in the teacher's explanation of, well, if they rebel, they're barbarians. And if they don't, they're cowards. Like, what? Mm. And there there was another place, too. She was reading the story of Nat Turner. And in the end of the little description of the rebellion, it said it was never discovered why he rebelled. <laughs> She's what? <laughs> <laughs> so she is able to see those little lapses in logic like it doesn't um, match she's wait a second yeah yeah and frankly i think i most kids can most kids are able to see the bs in adult behavior and adult thinking you can swear it's okay <laughs> okay <laughs> i wasn't sure i didn't let loose Oh, I swear, because I'm like, your characters need to get their shit together. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I do think that that was part of it. But also, you bring up this interesting point about intelligence and then also education. 
When you're swimming in this sort of cultural milieu of belief, and this is all you hear, again, it's like that bubble that people can get in even now. You're just hearing in the echo chamber, you're hearing the same things repeated over and over again. And I think that has a numbing effect. It's really helpful to, in in an educational environment, to be reading and seeing different perspectives, not just the white Northern European male perspective on something, but all these different perspectives. I think that really expands the brain and mm-hmm. expands your thinking. By the way, I my day job, I and I'm not sure if this is this a literacy education professor at Northeastern okay. Illinois University. Yeah. I've spent my career working with educators and Yeah. And I, like the lit literacy is so important. I feel like literacy it like opens your world to like where you can you you have autonomy to go explore your own things. And again, opens your mind. Yeah, yeah, opens your mind to a lot of different perspectives. And that's what you get when you read. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. Lo- I, I exactly. A hundred percent. So I'm going to throw this two-parter at you. You touched on this earlier. What were the most challenging parts to write? What was the most enjoyable parts to write? Okay. I'll start with enjoyable. That was definitely Willa <laughs> finding the illogic in the adults' comments about things. And she just was a lot of fun to write. She's riding her bike. She's full of passion and confusion and sort of a typical middle schooler. I think that's what middle schoolers have. Um, over Overdoing everything and <laughs> being a little dramatic. Losing, yeah. yes, <laughs> losing control sometimes. Uh, The hardest was definitely the racist parts. It was hard to write her early, the early pages where she expresses racist views. That was hard. And I remember sitting at my dining room table writing that and thinking, who's going to want to read about this racist girl? And actually, that's why I had to frame it as a memoir. For my own sake, I needed people to know that she ends up not racist right from the beginning. Oh, that's so interesting. So it was definitely like, I don't want to say it was like a a marketing tactic, but yeah, (laughs) from a readership. Oh, that's so interesting. I think it was a good choice because as a reader, we understand how things end up. Mm-hmm. without knowing how they end up that way yeah. <clears throat> and I thought that was that was a good that was a good way to to frame to structure the, the story for sure that's so funny that you were like oh, I don't think anybody would want to read about, yeah. about a racist, racist teenager like <laughs> racist girl yuck and and yeah all of the racist parts and were hard in fact I really struggled with her father the character of her father And I had to do a lot of exercises outside of writing the novel to try to make him more palatable to me, just to Mm. have him on the page there. Mm. Uh, And I think that worked. I was working with this book that's for screenwriters, actually, and it had a bunch of exercises for developing characters. And one of them was backstory. So I came up with Dick McCoy's backstory which made him a little bit more sympathetic, at least to me. Yeah. He grew up in poverty and he didn't have a father. And um, he's a very wounded human being floundering around and trying to, he's trying to social climb and he's not yeah. going to Yeah, I appreciated that too. Because it not only does it make him multidimensional, but mm-hmm. it's also, it explains the behavior or explains his even though they're very flawed and it's dude you took the wrong lesson from that it's like still it explains a lot of like problematic human human nature it's because it's a cycle right if violence is a domestic violence is a cycle and exactly not just environmental but genetics it's like alcoholism substance abuse can be Mm -hmm. a cycle things like that so it helps explain the behavior but what I always want to like stress is that it doesn't excuse the behavior, right? No. It just makes it just not like it makes sense, but it helps to like maybe we see these commonalities and we see like the causes and we can I- help us identify it in other instances mm-hmm. where as a child, like 
you shouldn't do that because that's gonna mm -hmm. fuck him up later it's, it, it's things like that where it's it definitely added to the depth of of dick mccoy for sure and it was even though yeah obviously i don't see a reader of good standing who would like super agree with him but definitely sympathize with him like i sympathize i, I remember feeling like a little bit for him but then i was like I don't know, you're trifling and you're problematic and you care about one thing and your daughter's here gonna she's gonna she's gonna catch up. But dude, like you are not paying attention. And the, or that with her older brother, the firstborn, and mm -hmm. he was just like the golden child and following Steppens, he was in line, he was doing everything, and he but even though he was like an equally questionable character and all that. This might also be the God, I don't even know what to say about the ending. I felt like a little bit of the tension and then it was like so fucking heartbreaking and it was just like she was trying so hard to do the right thing and then she got caught and, and you don't... At, at first I was like, I was mad at Langston's girlfriend. What was her name? Was it Erica? Uh, um, Daisy. Daisy, yes. Okay. Yeah. So how ironic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then she was just like, no, like you're staying here. Find your own <laughs> ride home. And then it just started like a chain of events, even though she was trying to get Langston safe. She didn't need to insist on going with. That right, was like, right. okay. But then at the same time, you're like, no, this story wouldn't be as powerful if that didn't happen. It's like the drama, the tragedy would not be as significant if Willa was just like, okay, Godspeed. Like she. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the same time, you're just like, it, you can see it unfolding and then it's just I feel like I was almost watching a movie like I can it was like slow motion and it was just like no <laughs> just remember <laughs> that <laughs> like that last oh my god that last like 15% or whatever but then like when you're reaching the end and, and it's so heartbreaking by the way if you haven't read it I recently read Betty Friedan's The Femin a Feminine Mystique. Feminine Mystique. Okay, I've heard. That's an old book, but it's it very is. It's well It's from known. 1963. Yes, I'll it's, have to add it to my reading list. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's eye-opening because it makes you realize that these things come in cycles. And, and so now we're on the down end of a cycle anyway. So yeah, I think that her father was the one who wanted her gone because she was just a pain anyway. And the mother obeyed because that's she what she caught. Did. She, yeah, exactly. Like she wasn't, she wasn't as forgiving or as obedient as his wife. And that right. was a problem. And it's, I can, it, it's so, I don't know. It makes sense from that perspective, but it's just, oh my God, it never had to be that way. Mm. It never had to be that way. And it's so sad because she, Willa, she was growing and she had the best intentions and then she ended up at what cost, right? At right. what cost? Right. And uh, the, but the, but even then, I don't know. I'm like burning all to the ground, sis. I'm like, <laughs> I I know chaos. I'm like, I love a chaotic queen, even though it was like, holy shit, like girl, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like she had to do something so drastic to be noticed and be taken seriously, almost like once I felt like she she's fine and he doesn't pay attention to me anyway. I don't care about impressing him anymore, and this is what I'm gonna do. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna ruin his reputation now. Like yeah. it, it was. But I don't know. I loved it. I loved every second of her growth, of her flaws, of her. Even though I don't know, I don't want to get too attached. I just get so into the story and. I how much it all blew up in like an instant and it was but it didn't start there it started four or five against prior events prior to that it's mm -hmm. that's how crazy that's how crazy it is and how fast it can spiral out of control and just get away from you and her being the age that she was she didn't she didn't have much power anyway even if she was a grown woman she probably wouldn't have had much yeah, say that's a good point yeah yeah absolutely so ad nauman where can we find or what's next are you working on anything any working on anything I that you could talk about am i am working on another historical novel i'm having again so much fun doing the research this is also set in virginia in the tidewater area it's set in williamsburg colonial williamsburg set during the great depression and it is about uh, uh, a young couple who they look like the perfect couple at first, and then they slowly unravel. So that's what that is about through the Great Depression. 
Okay, cool. And do you have, are you just working on it now? Do you have an expected like release date or anything like that? I'm still working on it. It needs another stiff revision. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> That's yes. fine. No pressure. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm, I would be excited to read. I'm, I'm a sucker for historical fiction. I once, I found that like the more historical fiction I read, like the more I really enjoy it. Yeah. Because there's just, I repeat myself with this, but there's so many ways to tell the same story. And there's so many different stories to tell of a person's place in such a momentous period in history. I think, I don't know. I'm just a little fascinated. And, and I also... I like reading things that make me feel smarter or open my worldview <laughs> a little bit, make me think a little bit, things like that. I just, yeah. and, and if it's good writing, it's like, you can't go wrong. It's, it's fantastic. A.D. Nauman, Down the Steep, that book is available now. I cannot recommend it enough. Historical fiction, yes. Challenging the status quo, yes. Coming of age, yes. All of it, all that good stuff. And I seriously cannot wait for anything else you've got going on. Where can we find you online and on social media? I have a website, adnauman.com, so N-A-U-M-A-N. And by the way, I also do a newsletter that people oh. can subscribe to. And it's a newsletter devoted to writers. So it's not just about me, what I'm doing. It's, sure. it's my thoughts about writing and craft and the, the writing life. Nice, nice. Give it, give back a little bit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. This powerful conversation. Thank you for letting me rant and rave on about and go all over the place. And it's been fantastic. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. And feel free to come back when you got more works to promote. Oh, you're welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. And thank Absolutely. you for your kind words about my novel. And there you go. That was A.D. Nauman talking about Down the Steep. That book is available now. Like I said, I cannot recommend this book enough. It was so fantastic. So it resonates. It will resonate with so many readers. It definitely resonated with me. It's pretty serious, but it does. she does a great job of telling the story. So if you want to find links where you can purchase the book um, or follow her on social media and find her online on her website, go ahead and check out the show notes. While you're navigating the wonderful world of social media, go ahead and find Cantina Book Club and give us a like and subscribe and a follow, all that good stuff. If you are interested in adding books to your reading list, please check out my, my book reviews on cantinabookclub.com. If you're interested in early access to videos and podcast episodes and book reviews, or if you are interested in perhaps submitting a question to an author, you can find uh, the different subscription tiers on the Patreon. So um, go ahead and check those out. And if you want to support this and the work that um, I do here, really, I totally appreciate it. Uh, but either way, as always, thank you guys so much for listening.